What's up, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of Built With Beck, your health and fitness podcast. This episode is going to be super fun. It's going to be short. It's going to be sweet. We're doing a rapid fire Q&A where basically last week I posted on my Instagram story, hey, I'm doing a Q&A for a podcast episode. Send me your questions and I'll hopefully cover at least some of them in the podcast episode. So this week we've got five really solid questions all relating to obviously one's health and fitness journey, but I love it because the questions aren't all related. They were actually all asked by different people. So I'm really excited for this episode. I know these questions are gonna be directly relevant and important to at least five of you. So with that, let's go ahead and get into it. Question number one was all about what to do when you're not feeling motivated. So if you followed me on Instagram for any stint of time, you know that I feel very strongly about this whole relying on motivation topic. But I also do think that it's really popular right now to kind of diss motivation and to act like motivation is pointless or motivation is bad. And that's not the case. So what I want to do is I want to outline three, I guess, points you could say that relate to finding motivation or more importantly, replacing motivation and at least my personal tips in overcoming or working with motivation instead of always wrestling with it and always looking for it. So first up is that point blank period. I don't care who you are, what you're doing, what your goals are. You will not always be motivated for anything, right? And I think that's a really important understanding because More often than not, I have at least found in my own experience as well as experiences with clients, it's almost like we get down on ourselves for not being motivated, right? We see that as like something that's wrong with us. We assume everyone else is always motivated. We see successful people and we assume that they're just more motivated than us. I'm stuck in this life of like motivation, drought, and it's frustrating and it causes us to get down on ourselves and it almost distracts us from whatever it is that we are looking for that motivation for, you know? So I think it's really important to just understand that we're not always gonna have motivation. So that for those days where you wake up and you just don't wanna do the task, you don't wanna go to the gym, you don't wanna meal prep, you're not thrown off by that. You just understand that it's a lower motivation day. But I also want us to kind of reframe motivation motivation is nothing more than momentum okay so the idea right is oh i will have motivation it's going to give me some momentum which will lead to action and then i'll get results right that's like the whole idea is oh okay i'm going to have this momentum i'm going to like all of a sudden have this inspiration it's going to get the ball rolling and i will get results because i will just be struck with motivation but instead i want us to kind of flip that order so instead of looking at motivation as the starting spark that leads to action that then will produce results. Let's kind of turn this around. What if instead, just hear me out here, what if we start with action, right? We just do the task, we just go to the gym, we just start the meal prep, we get the results, and we let those results motivate us to continue, okay? So instead of motivation, sparking action, and producing results, What if we just initiate action, which produces results, and then can spark continued motivation? That is a strategy that I promise is going to help you so much more than waiting for motivation to come to you. We rarely have momentum from just being at rest, right? Instead, let's start with some action and let's let those results motivate us to keep going. But the third thing, and this is where I think it can be really empowering and really helpful to just 
sometimes put mind over matter um, or put your head over your heart at times and understand we really don't rely on motivation for anything else in life. So on days where maybe you're waiting to feel motivated to go to the gym, instead, why don't you think of a couple of things that you do or a couple of things that you've done when you didn't feel like it, when you weren't motivated and you did them anyways? And think, why did you do those things? So maybe for you it's laundry, maybe it's studying, brushing your teeth, volunteering or going, you know, like when somebody makes plans and it sounds really fun when you make the plans and then the day of the plans roll around and you don't want to go, but you go anyways, right? Or even just like work, like nobody's ever motivated for work all the time, but we do those things, one, because they're good for us, right? Like brushing your teeth. Two, because it's a commitment or a decision that we made for ourselves. So maybe the social plans or volunteering or something. And three, and or three, I should say, because we know that it is an imperative step we have to take to get us where we wanna go. So this would include things like work or homework, right? We're not always motivated, but we know that we have to do those things if we wanna get what we want. Fitness is not exempt from any of those things. And in fact, it actually falls in all three of those buckets. Exercise, eating quality food, moving your body, resting well, it's good for you. We do those things because we know that it is good for us. It can also become a decision that you just make for yourself. You decide you're going to do those things. So you follow through even when you don't feel like it. And third, it's obviously an inevitable and imperative step for a long and healthy lifestyle. There aren't shortcuts with health and fitness. And I don't know why we assume there are shortcuts in health and fitness when we know there aren't shortcuts in other areas of life. It also does just help us if we realize that health and fitness are always going to be part of our lives. Always. It's not just a phase that you're in right now. It's not just something that you work towards right now. You will always care about your health and fitness to some degree in some shape or form. And honestly, your health and fitness is going to get increasingly more important as we age. Once we understand that we are in this for the long haul and your health and fitness isn't going anywhere, it helps us stop treating fitness like some major life hack shortcut that we're looking for, right? But instead, it's something that we're investing in in order to have a long and healthy and fulfilling life. When we understand that and when we truly realize, oh, you know what? I'm always going to have health and fitness goals. We're able to enjoy the process so much more because we're not just sitting around looking at a ticking clock waiting for our dream body to roll around. All right, so that's question number one. How do we stay motivated all the time? Let's move to question number two, which is slightly different. We're looking specifically at dieting, specifically at fat loss. And the question was, how do you know which macro to cut out when you're in a deficit? So short answer is you will pull back a little bit on carbs and fats. But we know that I never give just a short answer. So let's go ahead with a couple little more details here. A very important one is that to be in a deficit, to be in a calorie deficit, right? Yes, we must lower calories a little bit. So that does mean that we need to lower some food or lower our macros. But I want to be careful with the language here that we should not full on cut or full on eliminate any of the three macros. We should not be fully eliminating protein. We should not be fully eliminating carbs or fats. And that's the biggest guideline I'd offer you for a successful cut, but also for a cut that will, and by cut, I mean dieting phase, fat loss phase, but also for a fat loss phase that will still protect and optimize your health, making sure that we're not just full on eliminating any of those three main nutrients. 
So yes, the short answer was to pull carbs and fats down a little bit, but not too, too much of either of those. So the general rule of thumb, and if you don't care about any of like the macro stuff or you don't care about um, tracking or fat loss in specific, the next like 45 seconds you can tune out of. But for those of you who like to nerd out and those of you who are interested in macros a little bit more, this might interest you. But this is the general rule of thumb for basically like minimum required fat intake for optimal hormonal and metabolic health. So the general rule of thumb is to take your overall calories and of those calories, about a fourth to a third of those calories should come from fat. So for example, let's say that your dieting calories are 1800, all right? A quarter of 1800 is 450, and a third of 1800 is roughly 595. So what that means is your calories from fat should be anywhere between 450 and 595. So if we know fat is nine calories per gram, that basically means that if your dieting calories are 1800, you should be aiming for 50 up to 66 grams of fat as a minimum. The rest of the calories then aside from protein would go to carbs. So again, like the short answer here is carbs and fats, but the longer answer is you want to pull carbs and fats down just a little bit, but you want to make sure you're not too deficient in any of those. A little side note on why it's not protein that we want to pull back is we want to keep protein high because of protein's irreplaceable role in the body. Protein is the only macro, the only macronutrient that can be used to build and maintain muscle mass. It keeps us fuller longer. It supports metabolic and other like chemical processes in the bodies. It's going to optimize fat loss in your weight loss journey. So we want to keep protein high year round, no matter what phase you're in, your protein target shouldn't ever really change. So again, how do you know what macro to cut in a deficit? I want to be careful using the word cut here, but we do want to pull back a little bit from carbs and fats in a dieting phase. All right, question number three. We're rocking and rolling through these pretty quickly. Question three was less of a question, more of like a situation slash statement with a question mark at the end. But um, question number three was eating clean but not seeing results, question mark. So this is kind of in the same vein of the earlier question in regard to what macro should you pull back in a dieting phase, but it's important to know that when it comes to your body weight, it really does ultimately boil down to calories in versus calories out. And the reason that I have to start with that is because you can 100% most definitely absolutely gain weight from eating healthy foods. You can absolutely eat nothing but like boiled chicken, avocado, broccoli, salmon, brown rice. You can eat those things only and still gain weight. It's all just going to come down to how many calories are you consuming and how many calories are you burning in your day-to-day -day life. So even if the foods that you're eating are nutrient dense, they're full of fiber, they're full of protein they're still calories. So that's the number one thing we've got to get in check. I do want to offer though that that doesn't mean that your health is just about calories. Maintaining a nutrient dense diet, right, or eating these quote unquote cleaner foods is key for optimal digestion, um, sleep quality, skin health, body composition, energy, everything. Your body will thank you tenfold if you still prioritize whole nutrient-dense foods in your diet, but those foods are not exempt from the rules of energy balance and calories in and calories out. 
Your best bet though, this is the last thing I'll touch on with this, your best bet is to remove food labels like clean or good or bad from your vocabulary. Instead, what we wanna do, if you have fat loss goals, what I want you to do is keep an eye on your calorie intake, continue prioritizing nutrient-dense food options like 80 to 90% of the time, but then if you want something that is a little bit less nutrient-dense sometimes, allow yourself to have that, no guilt. Eat it, enjoy it, understand that those calories are calories, and then move on and continue on with your nutrient-dense diet. All right, question number four is how to know if you're in a calorie deficit. I will say this till I'm blue in the face, and I know that this is maybe not the most PC response at this point. I don't even know. You never know with Instagram. But if you want to know if you're in a calorie deficit, track data. It's not obsessive. It's not disordered to keep track of your intake or keep track of how your body is responding. It's just like you would track progress in any other area of your life. So do you want to know if you're doing better in school? Great. Track your grades. Do you want to know if you're saving more money? Great. Track your spending. Track your savings. Do you want to know if you're in a calorie deficit? Great. Track your body weight. Track your measurements. Track your progress photos. If you're trying to be in a deficit, what I would give you as like reasonable tips is track data, not just one measure, but track a couple of different data points. I'll give you a better example in a second. Track data consistently for like three weeks. Because the thing is, you're not going to see massive change or massive reliable change in the day-to-day life. But you will see weekly trends. So here's what I would do if you're not sure if you're in a calorie deficit. Take some starting measurements, like first thing in the morning, empty stomach, um, before you've had anything to eat or drink. Take starting measurements like all around your body. Take them all around your abdomen, take them on your arms, take them on your legs. Take measurements on day one, and for three weeks, I want you to weigh yourself every single morning. After those three weeks are up, take updated measurements, and look at those three weeks of weigh-ins, but look at the weekly averages. So average out those weigh-ins, you should have then three weigh-ins that you can compare, and look at trends over the past three weeks. Have your measurements gone down since your starting measurements? Has your average weight started to trend down? If either of those answers are yes, then you're in a calorie deficit. So you should stay there, stay doing what you're doing. If it's working, there is no need to change anything. But if you haven't seen any changes in those trends, then you are not in a deficit. So then steps moving forward would depend on what you're doing, how much you're currently eating, all of the other things. But that, generally speaking, is how to know if you're in a deficit. Track data. I will offer a little side note because I don't want to get attacked by trolls saying that I'm promoting who knows what, like becoming obsessive or disordered eating. There are some people who do not benefit from weighing themselves every single day. There are people who have disordered relationships with food or with fitness or with themselves. I would not encourage that those people try and enter into a deficit right now. And tip number five, I feel like this is a great way to wrap up the questions. It's especially great coming off of the previous question on how to know if you're in a deficit and tracking data and how that might not always be the very PC answer to say. Um, But this question was for tips for overcoming fearing the scale. So this is a tough question and this depends on the person. And honestly, I'll probably have a whole episode just dedicated to this topic. But from my own experience, And from my experience with clients, everyone's favorite answer, it depends. So for myself and for some of my clients, 
Something that helped me overcome that feeling of fear and weighing myself was weighing every single day. Not because I became desensitized to seeing my body weight, but because I became used to seeing scale fluctuations. And more than that, I started learning different factors that influence scale fluctuations. So it was no longer this dreaded guessing game of like, oh my gosh, is my scale weight going to be up since I only weighed like last week? You know, I have no idea what to expect right now. Like, is this going to stress me out? Instead, I'm weighing myself every day. I'm seeing these fluctuations happen every day, no matter what I'm doing. But most importantly, I'm understanding what is behind some of these fluctuations. So I can step on the scale and I can see my weight shoot up three pounds higher than it was yesterday. And not for one second do I think that I gained three pounds of body fat overnight because education is empowering because I know better because I know, oh, you know what? I had a really hard training session yesterday and I, you know, was really stressed or something. So I know my body's going to be holding on to extra water or, oh, you know what? I had an extra late dinner last night, or maybe I went out to eat and I had definitely had a higher sodium meal. So I know my body's going to be retaining water weight this morning. There are so many different things that contribute to something like your scale weight and understanding those factors and then getting used to seeing those fluctuations each day can be really helpful in understanding that the scale is one tiny, tiny little measure and it is definitely not the only measure when it comes to gauging progress in your fitness journey. But I will also say that although education is empowering, people can also develop really harmful and really destructive relationships with the scale. And I don't think that education is always enough to fix that right away. I also don't think, to be honest, that we have to be 100% okay with weighing ourselves every day. I really don't think there's anything wrong if someone says, hey, you know what? It actually causes me a little bit more stress or anxiety when I weigh myself. So I just don't want to weigh myself. I actually have a good number of clients where we just don't weigh them. We just don't keep track of their body weight. Instead, we choose to focus on other metrics. So we gauge things like their hours of sleep each night, their energy, their hunger during the day. And then each month we also update things like their monthly measurements and their progress photos. So we're still keeping track of other data points, but we're not putting all of our eggs in one basket when it comes to gauging the success of their fitness journeys. So I hope you enjoyed this little rapid fire Q&A. This was definitely fun for me. It's also nice to get to see questions y'all have and how I can help through a platform like this. So definitely keep your eye out for more rapid fire Q&As. Definitely keep doing these. But for now, if you've got any other questions, if you wanna talk through any of these responses or honestly just connect it all, I always put my Instagram in the show notes as well as my email if you'd like to reach out that way. But unfortunately, this is all we've got time for for now. So I hope to see you next week.